0: On this podcast, we share a lot of stories and often the mental health aspect of the work we do creeps in. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or even overwhelmed, please consider visiting our sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you, and they even have therapists who specifically work with first responders. You just fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. You can talk to your therapist in a private and online environment at your convenience. Many first responders work rotating and often odd schedules, so this format makes it really easy to talk to someone when it's convenient for you. If you don't click with your therapist, you can request a new one at no additional charge anytime. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com backslash roadie. That's betterhelp.com slash roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. You can also find the link in the show notes. at 2213 Gordon Road. I have a full sign. you got to find a way to not really forget the memories but know how to deal with them. On the trolley side, just a little bit of fire on that. On the like a path. Path. They clear a path. I say, holy cow, they made a path for us. If you put a couple of first responders together in a room, something interesting happens. Before too long, they'll begin sharing stories. They're not trying to one-up each other. They're simply finding common ground. I was fortunate enough to serve my community as a paramedic and a firefighter for over 25 years. As you can imagine, during that time, I acquired my fair share of stories about the incidents and the calls I was involved in. I thought I might write a book, but then I decided sharing these stories collectively in a podcast would give anyone listening an insider's view into the work that first responders do every single day. These are the stories of the men and women who courageously serve the public or as I like to call them, Stories from the Road. Welcome back to Stories from the Road. I'm your host, Phil Klein, and joining me on the podcast today is C.O. Wayne. Uh, Wayne's actually a very good friend of mine. We've known each other for about three years now, and uh, I don't think I've ever heard this story that you're going to tell on the podcast today, so I'm really excited to have the opportunity to sit down and talk to you. Wayne's been a C.O. for 18 years. He's out of the business now, and he's worked for the county, for the state, uh, really, some tough prisons. So, Wayne, it's great to have you on the podcast. I'll turn the mic over to you and let you share your story from the road.
1: All right, I appreciate it. Yeah, like I say, um, kind of happened into corrections by mistake. I was actually trying to get into state uh, state patrol back in Ohio back in the day, and um, it's one of those deals that you know they had hiring quotas, and I just didn't fit the quota. And so, like I said, I thought, like, well, you know, I want to see what I can do, and. And uh, we end up in corrections, kind of by mistake. But I'm like, you know, I had a passion for it. Um, like I say, I started out working in the county sheriff's department in the lockup there. And then progressed on to the state when they opened up a new prison. And, and like I say, I've worked a couple of different states in it and ended up going back to the, the first state that I started at. So for anybody that's listening, tell us the difference between being a correction officer in a jail or a county lockup as opposed to being in a prison. Well, in the prison or long term, uh, when you get to county lockup, I mean, like us say the lo- local police or the sheriff's department will bring people who they've arrested up. A lot of times they're drunk. They just been in an accident a fight, whatever. Uh, they will, you know, I mean, they've committed crimes or whatever on the street could be murder, could be simple theft, could just be drunk, you know, bringing them up there. So we'll have them anywhere from, you know, maybe a day or two where they get processed and then released out on bail or, like I say, we'll have them to the whole, in the county while they're there for trial if they don't get bonded out or bailed out. And, and then once they get sentenced, uh, they will go, they'll either stay in the county jail. It depends on the length of sentence. For short sentences, they stay at the county. Uh, the long term, I think it's like a year and a day, then they'll go up to the state. So then at the state we will have them anywhere from, say, a year up to life. So, And then, like I say, they will be determined before they get to certain jails or prisons, whether they're you know, medium security, maximum security, minimum, pre-release, where they go to like work release and all that stuff. And you worked in I worked mediums? Medium, I worked at one time in, in Ohio. I worked maximum security. I worked at Lucasville. Uh, it was basically the bottom of the barrel. They couldn't send them no deeper down the food chain. When I got hurt on the job, I worked at a medium security prison out in Maryland,
0: well, Wayne, please go ahead and continue with your story.
1: So, like I say, you know, medium security, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, like I say, it was a lot less drama as far as inmate-wise uh, compared to maximum security. Maximum security, like I say, hate to say it this way, them boys don't play. I mean, they're in there for life, two or three life sentences. Uh, they don't care if they hurt you. They will, you know, if you get in their way of something happening, they will take you out just as much as they take another inmate out. Know you got two life sentences. What's another one? So, as we get into the story today, I know you had a uh, really a difficult story to share. And uh, tell me how that tell me how that day started. Day uh, started, like I would say, for about the last almost nine years, I was working in the state of Maryland. I worked transportation. Uh, I already had my CDL license, so like I say, they like they liked that aspect of it. So I was able to drive their bus. And, and, uh, and like I say, so basically, that day. I'd already, like I say, I'd already been in transportation almost nine years and started out like any other day. I, you know, went into work early, had to pick up two inmates to take to court. Uh, we started, I don't know, probably about six o'clock that morning, went into the prison, checked in, got our equipment, went well, got our two inmates, and, you know, did our strip searches and everything, put them in the van, and out the door we went. You know, we stopped in the Sally work, got our weapon, and, you know, another typical day, you know like any other day and we got it probably about 10 miles from the prison and it was foggy it was cold like I say it was january and we hit this overpass and basically the overpass was black ice and the van did a little dance and we spun it around backwards and the back wheel dropped off as we probably traveling backwards about 65 miles an hour back wheel hit the uh, the dirt and we barrel rolled it and it ended up coming to rest on my side and and like I say, the rest is history. Uh, I remember the role. I mean, it's one of those deals people will sit there and tell you it, it's slow motion, it felt like. I mean, I'm like, this is not going to end well. And I just kind of grabbed my hands across the seatbelt. And the driver's up there hanging in the seatbelt because he was over top of me. And like I say, was the van come to rest on my side. And, and
0: uh, so tell me a little bit more about the crash. Tell me uh, how many guys were in the van and really what you're thinking. I mean, obviously, as you're spinning, I know what you're thinking, but when that van comes to rest, what's going through your mind immediately? Are you thinking about security? Are you thinking about the guys in the van? What's going through your mind?
1: Well, I know, like I say, when the van was spinning, I'm like, I I imagine thinking, you know, just seemed like it was slow motion. It was like, I know this is not going to end well, and if it's my day, I hate to say it's my day to make my maker, it's my day. I could, you know, rest comfortable. I know I didn't screw anybody over, and I did what I was supposed to do and lived a good life, and, you know, they say your life kind of flashes in front of you. And like I say, when I woke up, I, you know, I did a quick kind of inventory. I'm, I'm laying around, laying on the, basically the floor of the van or, well, what's considered the bottom of the van. I mean, still, still seat belted in my seat after I woke up. And I, I kind of look around and I t- told the driver, I said, shut the van off. I mean, it was a screaming, you know, the motor just sounded like it was wide open. And he managed to get it shut off. And uh, I hollered at the inmates and I didn't hear anything from them. Because, like I said, I mean, I don't know, you know, they were, I don't know if they got knocked out or not. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't really see them. Tell me about how the inmates
0: are situated in the van. So were they in cages? Or are they just handcuffed to the to the bench? How does that look?
1: No, the, the van is just a regular, like, 2,500 van, you know, three-quarter ton van. And there's just like a regular van. It's uh, seats in the van, and, and uh, they were basically handcuffed, leg armed, and then their handcuffs were shackled to the waist. So they were, you know, fully immobilized. Uh, as far as seat belts with the inmates, they didn't wear them because you really can't get into the van to seat belt them in the seat. Um, so they they basically kind of probably tumbled around in the back, just like I tumbled around in the front. I mean, I was I was restrained, but I mean, it bent my seat against the door. So I think the door bracket or the seat bracket on my seat broke when we rolled. So like I say, it jammed me against the door.
0: So tell me what happens next as the, the van is now resting, you're yelling
1: to your guys, what's going on next? Yeah, basically the van's resting. Like I say, my, my driver managed to get the motor shut off, and and he's up there. He just, I hate to say he's freaking out, but like I say, he's he's spazzing out, which, I mean, it's understandable. We just rolled the van. Like I say, we just woke up, and I don't think he got knocked out because, like I say, he didn't bang his head against the door. I told him, I said, you call work, I'll call 911. And, uh. Like I say, about that time, he released a seatbelt and landed on top of me, which, you know, he's probably a 300 pound man landed on top of me And, you know, it's, you know, a couple foot drop, but like I say, that didn't, didn't help matters any. And I'm laying there with him on top of me and it's like, oh, this is not well. And, uh, like I say, the inmates still weren't saying anything. So I mean, I know they were secure. I mean, cause the door, actually the back door and the side doors of the van are padlocked. So the door wouldn't just automatically spring open. And the van itself has a cage inside of it. There's wire over the windows. There's uh, wire over the back glass, you know, like a grill. Uh, There's a separation between the front of the van and the back of the van. So they couldn't get to you. There's wire and plexiglass. That way it keeps some of the ones whose jerks from, you know, spitting at you or trying to stick a stick or whatever up through the cage and poke you. So, I mean, they were secure in the back. The van, you know, stayed secure. How long before help got there? I really don't know. Like I say, if my time frame of reality at that time was not real good. Uh, I mean, he's kind of late there. I mean, we were talking, and, you know, they said, yeah, we've, we got help on the way. So, you know, like I say, unbeknownst to me, I guess, you know, there, people had already called 911, and, you know, help was on the way. So, and but the van, they never thought about the local fire departments and stuff, presented an issue because of the cage in the van to get the inmates out because you just can't open the door and get them out. Yeah, so I guess that creates challenges for
0: first responders, for you guys, for really for everybody involved. And then you also have prisoners now
1: that you have to take care of, not just medical aid for them,
0: but also security for them.
1: Yes. Yeah, so they said, um, I know somebody talked about they'd never seen so many sheriff and Town police and state patrol at one spot in their life. I mean, there was just all these, you know, you know, law enforcement and fire departments because then they had to go get the heavy rescue truck to cut the cage in the van. And I mean, they end up peeling the top off the van, and everybody got extricated that way. If I remember correctly, you had a couple of conversations while all this was going on with maybe a captain or or somebody. Is that right? Yeah, well, like I said, the captain more conversations, more at the hospital because I'm sitting there like yeah, I'll be back to work Monday and, you know, because I was supposed to requalify with weapons that week. And like I say, it's one of those deals that I never stepped foot back inside the prison after the accident, other than turn my stuff in. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. That's a rough. I mean, I had planned to work about five more years before I retired. You know, that would have given me with my military, it would have given me almost uh, 20 there at that prison. And like I say, it's kind of a Hard thing to swallow, you know. You're expected to, you know, you're going to work x number of years, and and then all of a sudden, just a tragic you know, just a surprise accident. To no through no fault of your own, just basically, you know, you go to work and guess what? You're where you can't return back to work. I said it's hard to swallow. What were some of the injuries you had that caused you to to leave the job early? Basically, I've had knee surgery. I've had uh, two knee surgeries, uh, replacement on my right. Everything on my right side got messed up where I slammed the door. I broke my back, I got a concussion, uh, I had my shoulder basically rebuilt. They had to reattach my rotator, take about an inch out of my collarbone, what they call decompression. A uh, year and a half of physical therapy, they did it an hour each each for my knee, an hour on my back, and an hour on my shoulder, three times a week for about a year and a half.
0: So pretty significant recovery from, from this event that you thought you were going back to, to work the next week.
1: Yes, uh, the uh, shoulder surgery, when the doctor went in there, I mean, like I say, PT, 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 you know, it's just one of those deals that they want to do all this PT to death before, you know, they do any surgery. I mean, the accident was in January. I had my knee, first knee surgery in July, and it was November, uh, right before they did the shoulder surgery. And when the doctor says, well, it's about the most we can get, hope to get for is about 70% of what it used to be. And, you know, the odds are not good. So, I mean, hey, i got to do something. So what's that conversation
0: like when you finally realize you're not going back to work?
1: Well, basically, it's kind of a bittersweet conversation because the way the state does everything, you know, you, you, I, I mean, I, I didn't want to get a lawyer involved. You know, I kept saying, well, the state's going to do the right thing. You know, it was one of these deals that it's a work-related accident. It was witnessed, you know. So, I mean, it wasn't one of these slip and falls I hurt myself. You know, nobody witnessed it. And I mean, it made the news and everything else. So, I mean, yeah, it was witnessed. So I had to go see the state doctor and my lawyer's doctor. And then, like I say, you had to go through workman's comp hearings and everything else. But that's another little bit farther down. So once I go see my, my doctor and the state doctor, state doctor does an evaluation, sends it up to the state. And then within 10 days, I get a letter. And it says, basically, due to uh, your injuries, you are unable to stay employed at the state. And here's your options. Either you can resign or be terminated. And so, like I say, I'm like, really? You know, can't you put me somewhere, like in an office or something like that? And their basically response was no. And here's your options. You know, if you don't resign, we're going to fire you. Were they worried about additional injuries, like? It seems to me that light duty
0: is, is an option. I know on the jobs that I've been on, you know, we've put people on light duty. Whether we working as a medic, we put people at the console that are providing medical control assistance. As a firefighter. There's,
1: you know, uniform division. There's other places you can go. Why wasn't that an option for you? They, just, they really don't have light duty either. They did have it one time. Like I said, they would put you in a control center where you open and shut the doors. But, you know, the option wasn't given to me. And, you know, here's your option. You've come to work 100%, which you cannot do because the inmates will know your weakness, know you're not 100% like you used to be. Or like I say, if you don't don't resign, we're going to fire you because you can't do your job. So that was essentially the end of your career in corrections at that point. Yep. Like I say, it was a hard, hard pill to swallow. And like I say, I mean, it was one of these deals that, you know, if he's going to re- retire, you know, you got that retirement date, you go have your little retirement party and everybody pats you on the back and you get that proverbial go watch and everything and, you know, good job and, you know, enjoy your retirement. And like I say, you know, I walked in the door and, you know, that day and people never seen me again. You know, I never walked back in the door. So thinking back on your career, tell me about some of
0: the, some of the times you really enjoyed. What did you really enjoy about being a corrections officer?
1: I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't say it. It's a job I was good at. I mean, I was fair, firm, and objective. You know, that's part of what you have to do to, to do it. I got along with, you know, I i could deal with the inmates. I could deal with the the, the administration. Um, like I say, it was a job. that I mean, I worked transportation. I loved it because I had weekends and holidays off. Which, like I say, if I worked a regular jail uh, or the prison, I worked seven, three, seven, four, which meant I worked my four day off was Monday through Thursday. And then my three days off was always Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But you only had one weekend off a month. That's why I really like transportation. And I enjoyed it too, because like I say, I used to go to courts and, you know, stuff that you'd read about in the newspapers going on. I mean, you were actually physically there. I mean, you was sitting there in the court proceeding, which sometimes they got boring. You know, especially when you got to court at 8 o'clock in the morning, didn't get out there at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Other times, I've, I've went to hospitals, you will go right into the surgeries with the inmate. So, I mean, if you're going to be doing something on a heart heart bypass or amputating the leg or whatever, you go right in there with them. You're right there, you know, watch the procedure being done. And, and so it was pretty interesting. You know, doctors say, you want to see this? Does blood bother you? Don't bother me at any, you know. So, well here, watch this. You know what you wanna see there? And I mean you're gowned up and scrubbed in and so I mean it's interesting, you know, you get to go to different things, see different things and Any high profile inmates throughout your career? There was a few, a couple, I mean, that, you know, when you're taking an inmate to court and you have to call the courthouse, maybe the bailiff Maybe a half hour out because there's a like a thing on, on social media. Hey, we want to kill this inmate, you know, because he killed this little girl. And, you know, so there's actually like a hit out on him. So, like I say, you got to be particularly, you know, aware of your surroundings. So it's one of these deals instead of, like we normally, some of these jails, we would stop out or the courts we would stop out on the street and walk in from the parking lot. This one here, they made us, you know, exception. We pulled right into the garage, and the door was shut before we even unloaded the inmate off the van. Because, like I say, there was a hit on him.
0: Reminds me of a story. When I was a a medic, we would transport from the county jail to the medical center. It was only, it was probably a mile drive, but we would put the inmates in the back of our ambulance. And I remember leaving the jail one day. We had a, a, a pretty significant prisoner who's getting ready to be sent upstate. He was doing a life sentence. I think he was a gang member. And as we pulled out of the the jail, a car dropped in right behind us and followed us all the way to the hospital. We weren't sure what was going on. The officer that was riding with me was a little concerned. We had an officer driving the, uh, the ambulance and uh, turned out to be nothing. But I, I can see how having a Prisoner with that type of history and that type of concern, you know, could really be really make you nervous transporting this person to make sure that you know you're not standing next to him when the hit goes off or they try to take this person out for whatever they did.
1: Wayne, as we as we start to wrap this up, anything else you want to add that that we didn't touch on? Uh, like I say, it's it's one of these deals. Like I say, I know this my accident was back in January of 15, but like I say, I mean, I still have dreams about it. I mean if i'm having a bad day or something that night i'll i'll dream prison or something like that which you know it's one of these deals that i know it's going to stay with me forever uh like i say i wake up every day still hurting people say oh must be nice to be retired no not really i'd rather not wake up in pain every day but you know you've had to change i've had to change my life the way i do things and the things i can and can't do and uh you know you just think every day that you're alive and, and kicking and because like I say, I thought my day was over that day and, you know, I'd never see another day after that. And so, you know, I'm here and, and you know, appreciate the days. Well, Wayne, I really appreciate
0: you coming on the podcast and, and sharing that story. I've, I've heard bits and pieces of it over the last couple of years and i had never heard the entirety of it. So thank you for being here. And I'm going to hit you up uh, again to come back and tell a couple more stories. I think you're the first CEO we've had on the podcast. So thank you for being here with us. I appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a minute and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whichever podcast platform you enjoy. Stories from the Road is a Brown Dogs Media Group production. This one-man show is written, edited, and produced by Phil Klein. Show notes are written by Jennifer Roeg. If you have a story you would like to share, please contact us at storiesfromtheroadpodcast at gmail.com. To learn more about this show, please visit storiesfromtheroadpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.